welcome to the Celebrate Community Church of Yankton podcast. My name is Jeff Todd, and I have the privilege of serving as pastor of this amazing church community here in Yankton, South Dakota. I just want to say thank you for joining us. It's my prayer that this week's message will truly encourage you. Enjoy. If you're a guest or joining us online, we've been in a series called Game of the Throne. We have an obsession with who's in control, how they got there, and how do they keep in control. And I've been saying that in God's word, there was a real-life Game of the Throne that got played out in the, the book of 1 Samuel. Israel's first king, King Saul, and we've been kind of walking through that and making the parallels, saying a lot of what Saul did is the same things that you and I do, the same thing. See, the, the Game of the Throne wasn't Saul being in control of the nation of Israel the game of the throne was Saul being in control over God and how so many times Saul would come and take the throne back from God. And I made this analogy last week about how sometimes we go to God and we say, God, I want you to be on the throne of my life. God, I surrender the throne of my life to you. And God will say, okay, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days a week are for you, but this one day is for me. And then we say, oh, but God, I'm so busy. i got so much going on. I've got family coming in town. Look who's back on the throne. We say things like, God, we want you. God, we want to surrender our throne to you. God, you're on the throne of our life. And God says, okay, do not covet anything your neighbor has. Do not covet their house. Do not covet their spouse. Do not covet their mouse. Whatever else, right? Don't look at what you've been given. Don't spend your time on social media. And we look at that, we go, yeah, but God, it sure be nice if I had a little bit more. And boy, did you see the thing that they just got? And look what we are. We're back on the throne again. We say to God, God, we want you to be the throne. God, you're on the throne of our life. And God says, do not worry about anything. But in everything, pray and ask me, oh, but God, I don't know about my finances. I don't know about my health. I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. And look who's back on the throne again. See, the game of the throne is what we play when God is not in control and I've said it before, and I'll say it throughout this series. God will not fight you for control of the throne of your life. He will look at you and simply say, thy will be done. And so if you're just coming in, you're coming on kind of on the middle of the movie, so I encourage you to go to our website, yankton.church, our YouTube channel, our podcast as well. Each one of these weeks is a different episode that kind of builds on the previous one. So just to kind of review or to catch you up in case you missed it, on uh, week one, we talked about how God chose Saul literally out of nowhere. And how God chose us by his grace, not by my efforts, not by my looks, not by my talents, not by my wealth. And God has chose me for his purposes and not mine in the same way he chose Saul. The second week we talked about how God changed Saul's heart. How the spirit of the Lord was on him and everyone could see it. And the reason why is because God has a work to do in you before he can do a work through you. And then last week, we talked about how the culmination of Saul becoming king, he had a great victory, and God affirmed him as king. And we talked about how God affirms my call in his timing, not in mine. God affirms my call in his way, not in my way or the way I would pick. And God affirms my call by his authority, not the authority of others. And I ended last week saying these first three weeks, Saul is really set up in a great position to be the ruler of Israel. And he started off really, really well. But it's not how you start. It's how you finish. 
And Saul would fall into these traps. And for the next four weeks, we're going to unpack through the life of Saul, through his kingship, how he would fall into these traps that would take him off, or in a sense, put him back on the throne in his life. And it's the same thing that can happen to you and I. And I've been giving you a challenge every week, and I hope you've been taking it. Last week, the challenge was that I want you to read 1 Samuel chapter 11. That's the chapter we went through last week. We've done Samuel uh, 9, 10, and 11. So if you've missed it, this is your challenge for this week. Go back and read those, 9, 10, and 11. And this is why we're doing that. I want you to fall in love with God's Word. I want it to become a habit in your life because God's Word is going to change your life. And, and please don't read into this, but I'm just, I'm just posing the question. If you, didn't, if you weren't in God's Word at all this week, who's on the throne in your life? If, if you really say, God, I want you on the throne, you better be in his word because he has things he wants you to learn and to speak to you. And if you're not listening to him, he really can't be on the throne. So today, to continue with this series, I want you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to get you a Bible. Also, if you uh, have a smartphone, you can download Version. It's a free app on any smartphone and device. But just to kind of recap, uh, they had won the great victory. And then in chapter 12, uh, Samuel, the prophet of God, steps down. He says, okay, I'm still the prophet, but Saul's your king. This is how this is going to look. He set it all up for them. So if you really want to be an overachiever, go back and read chapter 12 too, right? So 9 through 12, if you want to do that. And uh, Saul is now king. So we're going to start this week in uh, verse, chapter 13, verse 1. Saul was 30 years old when he became king. And he reigned over Israel 42 years. Now in the time of King Saul and even before King Saul, there was a group of people called the Philistines. They had kind of terrorized the nation of Israel for about 400 years and would throughout Saul's reign. And the Philistines had seen Israel choose this guy Saul. They saw them have this victory over another country called the Amorites. And so the Philistines were a little concerned and they wanted to kind of show their might and show their force. They said, okay, we're going we're gonna to basically wipe the nation of Israel off the map. We're not going to bull this whole King Saul thing, and we'll see what happens with their God. So verse 5 of chapter 13, the Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. In case you're wondering, that's not good. <laughs> this is bad. The people are completely surrounded by this enemy, the Philistines. Look at verse 6. When the Israelites saw that their situation was critical, that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets and among the rocks and in the pits and cisterns. This is not a good situation for the nation of Israel to be in. But where was their new king? You know, the one that just won this great victory, the one who God appointed? Where was he at? Look at verse 7. Saul remained at Gilgal. And all the troops were with him, quaking with fear. Verse 8, Saul waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So I want to recap this for you before we move on. Saul had just won this great victory over this nation. The nation affirmed that he was king. The, the Philistines, which were much larger and much more powerful, surround the entire nation of Israel. And they're going to come and they're going to squash them. And everyone in Israel is totally in fear. They're living in highs. They're hiding from their houses. They're completely fearful of what's going to happen. And Saul is sitting there with these soldiers. And Samuel says, and don't miss this, church. Samuel says, I want you to wait seven days. In seven days, I'm going to come 
and I'm going to do a sacrifice. And after the seven days, then we're going to go fight the battle. All right? Seven days have come, and it's on day seven, and there's no Samuel. And the soldiers have started to flee for their lives. And Saul will fall into the first trap of his life in the game of the throne. And it's the same thing that you and I can fall into. Look at verse 9. So Saul said, bring me the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offerings. Now you might stop and say, wait a minute, what's the big deal? Okay. He is the king, right? Why, why can't he go ahead and give the offering? It's because Samuel told him, wait. Wait for seven days. But here's the other thing. In chapter 9, if you remember, when, Samuel, when Saul first met Samuel, he understood that people wouldn't even eat before Samuel blessed the food. How much more important is when you're surrounded by a nation ready to conquer you that you'll need Samuel's blessing? Saul understood this. And he took matters into his own hands. And Saul offered the sacrifice on behalf of Samuel. Look at what it says in verse 10. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived and Saul went out to greet him. What have you done? Asked Samuel. Can you feel the tension in the, in the moment there? Man, if this were a movie, this is where like the music would change and it would be like, ooh, what's going to happen here, right? Samuel walks in. Saul had just given the sacrifice after he told him to wait. To which you might ask, do you think Samuel like did that on purpose? Do you think he intentionally waited the seven days till Saul? I think he might have. Because I think God works in his timing, not mine, right? Either way, Saul began to play a game of the throne. And here's the first trap that Saul fell into. You might want to write this down. The next four weeks, we're going to take one of these a week. This is the first trap. Fear of people. Saul was afraid of the people. Of all the mistakes that Saul would make, and he would make a lot of them, this is probably the most understandable. You remember, like, he's surrounded by the enemies, right? He's outnumbered. The people are fleeing. Saul, Samuel said, wait seven days. Day seven, seven came. No Samuel. The soldiers are running for their lives. Saul might be thinking, okay, I'm the king. I should do something about this. I know Samuel either doesn't get it or maybe he got delayed. But here's the problem, and I don't want you to miss this. I don't think it was so much that Saul was making the offering that was the problem. The problem was Saul was motivated by fear of other people. I don't even think Saul was really concerned about the Philistines. He's a soldier. He's not afraid to die in battle. But he could see that his brand new kingship was starting to waver. The people were starting to doubt him. The people were starting to go other places, and hence the game of the throne. And for the first time in his life and so many other times that would come, Saul got back on the throne because he forgot this one important fact. And if you got your notes, you're going to want to write this down because this is what you need to know to avoid this trap. You cannot please both God and people. You got to pick one. You cannot please both God and people. And please understand, God will test you on this. God had Saul wait seven full days to see who was really on the throne of his life. And Saul cared more about what people thought about him than what God had already told him. And friends, you and I can fall into the same trap. So I got three things for you of what fear of other people can do. 
This is what fear of other people can make us do things. This happened in Saul's life and it can happen in yours and mine. Here's the first one. The fear of other people can make me impatient. Now, if we're being honest, patience isn't our strong suit to begin with, okay? If we don't get what we want right away, we want it right away anyway. When someone is standing there pressuring us, that impatience goes up, doesn't it? Because other people can pressure us to do things. And when we want something, we don't get it. We want other people to leave us alone, but they're pressuring us into making a decision. When someone is pressuring you to make a decision, does it make the decision harder or easier? It makes it a lot harder, doesn't it? Look at what happens in verse 11. Saul replied, When I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time, the Philistines were assembling at Mishkah. Look at where Saul's focus is, right? The men are scattering. You didn't come. The Philistines. Others, 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 others. And his focus should have been where? God. He was looking at what all the other people were doing and thought, I need to take matters in my own hands. I need to make a decision. Saul was impatient because of his fear of other people. And we know we can fall into the same trap, can't we? There's entire sales and marketing are really good at this, right? Anybody ever bought a car before? <laughs> and they want you to make the decision right away, don't they? You need to decide this. And Elaine and I have done this before. We'll go to look at a car, and we'll be like, ah, oh, you know, that's great. We're going to wait a week, and we'll come back and, and buy it. And most salesmen don't like that, do they, right? Because <laughs> they want to pressure you into making the decision right away because that's what can happen. Trying to win the approval of other people can increase that impatience. When pressed by other people, please understand, when someone is pressuring you into making a decision, the best thing you can do is wait. Wait. Don't let the fear of other people push you into a decision and make you impatient because it'll fall into a trap every single time. Here's number two. The fear of others can make me impatient, but the fear of others can make me do what I know I shouldn't do. The fear of other people can make me do things that I know I shouldn't do. In today's culture, we call this peer pressure. And we talk a lot about it like in kids in school and grade school and high school. Can we be honest? Peer pressure continues all through the rest of your life, doesn't it? People can pressure you into doing things and making decisions that you know are not okay because of the fear of other people. You've heard the phrase, everybody's doing it, right? <laughs> We're pressuring you to do it. It increases that. We're more likely to do something we know we should not do if you see others do it or other people are encouraging you to do it. It's a scientific fact. I grew up in a small town, and uh, I always like to quantify that because I think small towns are kind of relative, um, but the town that I grew up in, I had 29 people in my graduating class, all right? Now, some of you might come up after me and say, I had 14. It's not a competition, okay? I'm just, I'm just giving quantifying, right? I grew up in a town that had 29 people in my graduating class. Of the 29 people, the vast majority, if not just for a couple few, had been with me since kindergarten, okay? So we, we know each other. We know your families. You know where they live. You know their grand... You with me on this, okay? How many small-town people? Okay, just, just... Okay, a few of you, all right? So, but you can understand this dynamic, right? You know everybody. Why am I telling you this? Because my senior year of high school, something really cool happened. All 29 of us, most of us who know each other are literally our entire lives, Realize, okay, high school's over. Life is really kind of just beginning. The last, you know, four years of all the drama and all the stupid stuff doesn't really matter. In fact, when we graduate, we might never see you again, right? So something really cool happened is we all started hanging out together. 
Like literally, our entire class, no matter if you were a jock, a nerd, whatever, all the different people, we'd all come and we'd hang out together. Now, we, we live in a small town, okay? So usually what that meant is we went somewhere and everybody got drunk, okay? That's, that's usually what happened, okay? Now, why am I telling you that? Why is that important? Because of the 29 people, I was the only one who never drank. I've never drank alcohol in my entire life, and I won't go into that right now, but there's a re I just, I, I've never done it. And so when you say the phrase, everybody's doing it, <laughs> I'm in a social situation where literally everyone's doing it, right? And there's two camps of people. There's people who would give me crap about it, and they'd be like, oh, you should drink, and they're stupid. I don't care about them. Anyway, but and there's people who are like, oh, that's so awesome. That's so great. But there was another group of people who I knew, and I knew their story. And I'd be like, why are you doing this? This, this isn't okay. Like, like I, I, know, I know some people, they had parents who were alcoholics. Like, do you really want that for your life? Is that what you want? But why do I say that? Because that peer pressure can be very impactful, can it? We can be pressured into doing things we know we shouldn't do because of the fear of what other people are going to say about me. And it happened to King Saul, and it happens to you and I all the time, doesn't it? Look at what happens in verse 12. Saul said to Samuel, I thought the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favor. Saul says the two most dangerous words in the English language, I thought. <laughs> okay, just stop right there. It's not what I thought, it's what God says. See, he chose to listen to the people, to the fear around them. He tried to veil it under God, but really what he was saying is, I'm afraid of these people. Friends, can I just say something? Choose the people you listen to very carefully. Because we have a natural human tendency to go with the crowd. So then I'll ask you, what crowd are you hanging out with? Are you hanging out with a crowd of godly people who want to follow God and what God says? Or are you hanging out with people who want to follow what the world says? Because I'll guarantee you which way you're going to go. Are you with me, church? This is why I love our Celebrate Network. I hang out with pastors all the time who are doing the same thing I'm doing here in Yankton, planning churches, trying to reach people for Christ, trying to lead and speak into that. And I know they know God. And I know it's not about them. It's about reaching people. I want to hang out with people like that. I also hang out with people who are lost people, who don't know Christ, who are far from God. That's important because I want to reach them for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But here's the difference. I don't listen to their advice because <laughs> they have really terrible advice. And their lives reflect that. Do you see the difference between that? And depending on where you're at and your spiritual maturity, some of you, there might be some people you just need to stop hanging out with because they're going to influence you in a negative way. Don't let the fear of people make you do things you know you shouldn't do. Here's the third one. Fear of other people can make us impatient. It can make us do what I know I shouldn't do. But here's the third one. It can make us doubt God. Saul was hiding behind, I wanted God's favor. God already told Saul, wait seven days. And he doubted that. He looked around at what other people were doing, and he let that influence him. Friends, other people do not always have your best interest in mind. If we're being honest, most people are naturally self-centered. They care about how it impacts me at this moment. And if I can get you to do something that's going to benefit me at this moment, I don't necessarily care about the implications for you in your life and the rest of your life. Anybody ever experienced that before, okay? Everybody look right here. God always has your best interest in mind. You know the God who created the entire universe, the one who put all the stars in place? 
You know the God who knows everything you've done in your past and, by the way, knows everything you will do in your future? And he has your best interest in mind. Yet far too many times we sacrifice God's purpose to please other people around us. What has God told you? God has told you, flee from sexual immorality. Don't even be near it. Get away from it as fast as you can. Not because he doesn't want you to have any fun. It's because he knows what's best for you in your life. And so much regret and shame comes from sexual immorality. And God knows that. He says, stay away from it. Don't even go there. God says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. He's already said that. Because he knows the pace of this world is to run you to death. Work seven days a week. Fill your calendar with a bunch of stuff that you couldn't get done anyway to please a bunch of people you don't even care about anyway. And God says, six days. Get done what you need to get done. This one day belongs to me. Remember me. God tells us, do not let money control your life. Jesus said it very cleanly. There's only two gods. There's God and there's money. Pick one. You can't serve both. If you spend your life chasing the dollar, you will end up in not a good place. And God gave us that tool that we talk about all the time. That says, whenever I receive anything, I take that first 10%, I return it straight to God because I will not let money be my God. It's got nothing to do with money. It's got everything to do with your heart. And that's why God gave us that. God already told you, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. So why do we worry? Why do we stress? Why don't we take all that energy and instead seek first his kingdom and his righteousness? Look at what Saul says in verse 12, the rest of verse 12. Saul says, so I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering, which is what God told me not to do. Friends, what if we were more compelled to obey God than we were to follow other people? What would our world look like? What would our life look like if we were just as compelled to follow what God says as we were to follow the crowd and that pressure around us? And if you've been in this church before, you understand, and I've said this many times, I, excuse me, I am a recovering people pleaser, okay? And I don't say that to make light of addiction because I, I don't want to make it, but I'm just telling you, I really enjoy being liked. <laughs> it's something that I struggle with. I love for you to like me. I really do. And as your pastor, I'm just going to say this. Over the last five years, there's been plenty of times where I've made decisions because I cared more what people thought about me than what God's already told me. And I can't do that anymore. And I love you with all my heart, but if you have a thought, an opinion, and it doesn't go along with God's word, I'm not going to listen to that. And it's going to make some people mad. It's going to make them frustrated. It's, it's, in the past, it's made some people leave our church. And, and, and I can't compromise on that. i, I got to tell you this story because I just want to quantify this for you to understand this is something that I struggle with too. And, and, and I care about you and I love you. That's why I tell you these things. Because here, and I'll put this verse up before I tell you this story. Galatians 1.10. If you don't have this verse, if you're a recovering people pleaser like myself, you should have this verse like tattooed on your forearm or like posted like where you can see it. I'm going to read it to you. I, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Pick one. You can either please God or you can try to please the crowd. You just can't do both at the same time. 
You've got to decide who you are going to follow. Because every time we try to chase the approval of others, it never ends well. So here's the story I was going to tell you. I can tell you where I was at. I was at Hy-Vee. I could even take you to the chair I was sitting in when I had a guy who I was meeting with. And this is exactly what he said. I'm not exaggerating. He goes, if you preach one more message on tithing, I'm leaving your church. He said it about like that. Okay? And, and it's funny because it's funny now. <laughs> but that Sunday, I literally had a message, the whole message was on tithing. And I said, I just need you to know. Because okay? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not trying to poke you. I'm just telling you, this is what God's told me. I've got to do this. And he just got so mad. And he started yelling. It was really embarrassing. It's at high beat, right? And he's yelling. Stream. He storms out and never came back again to the church. Here's why I tell you that story. Uh, about a year later, that guy died in a car accident. I have no idea where he's at. Um, I didn't know where he's at spiritually. But this is a, something that I carry in my heart, and this is why I'm sharing this with you, because I love you. I'm never going to compromise God's word for you. God's word is as clear as it can possibly be. And if that frustrates you and that angers you and that makes you upset and you need to go find another church... I don't want that to happen, but in the same sense, I'm not going to compromise God's word. And I have to, as your pastor, if I truly love you, I have to speak the truth in love to you. And then you have to deal with what you need to deal with. But I'm never going to compromise the truth. And why do I say that? Because in our own lives, please listen to this. We struggle with what other people think about us. And if you're one of those people too, you need to understand what God says matters. Don't let other people make you impatient or do things you know are not right. And never let what somebody says to you doubt God's word. Saul was obsessed with the fear of others. It made him impatient. He did something he shouldn't do, and he doubted God, and it cost him dearly. Look at 1 Samuel 13, 13. This is Samuel talking. You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the kingdom of Lord. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. Those three words are some of the saddest three words in Scripture. If you had. Friends, you never know what hangs in the balance of your decision. See, if Saul would have known that if I would have just waited for Samuel, my kingdom would have lasted forever, I guarantee you he would have waited for Samuel. But he allowed the fear of other people to make him impatient, to do something he knew he shouldn't have done, and to doubt the word of God. And for that, it cost Saul dearly in the same way it cost us. So one more time, just to make sure you get it, you cannot please both God and people. Pick one. You can either follow God or you can please other people. Several years later, there was another king that was born in a small town called Bethlehem. And he would grow up and he would become king and uh, he would be hated and despised. In fact, the king that was existing at the time tried to kill him. He was abandoned by his closest followers and even one of his closest friends betrayed him. And the man's name was Jesus. And we always say we want to meet Jesus and be like Jesus. Friends, if you really want to be like Jesus, you need to understand the crowds was not very happy with Jesus. There was many times where the religious people were the ones that were trying to stone Jesus and kill him because he was staying firm to what God had told him to do. And unlike King Saul, Jesus never wavered. And he said, I'm here to do the will of my Father. I'm not here to please you. And that's how Jesus said, and it cost him dearly. It cost him friendships. It cost him financially. And it eventually would cost him his life. 
which is what I would say to everyone in this room, do you really want to follow Jesus? Because if you do, can I just tell you, it might cost you some relationships. If you truly want to follow Jesus, it might cost you financially. It might cost you some, some cool points. It might even cost you your life if you stay true to what God says, but we never know what hangs in the balance of our decision to follow God. And the fear of people was the first trap that King Saul would fall into. And for the next three weeks, we're going to go over three more traps that Saul would fall into. And the reason why is because I don't want us to do the same. We want to avoid that. And just to remind you, your challenge this week is to read 1 Samuel 13. If you haven't read 9 through 12, do that too, okay? But make sure you read 1 Samuel 13 because we need to understand who are we really trying to please. Are we trying to please God? Are we trying to please everybody else? You cannot do both. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much that you were a perfect example of what it means to live your life for an audience of one. And Jesus, in every single way, the Bible says you were tempted in the same ways that Saul was and that you and I are, are tempted to do, to take matters in our own hands, to, to become impatient, to do things we know we shouldn't do, to doubt God. But Jesus, you never did that. You always stood firm to it matters what God says. And I'm going to follow that. And Jesus, that's not easy to do, especially because we are created to be relationship beings. And so when the people around us, even sometimes the people closest to us, even sometimes the people we love the most, say and do things that want to influence us, it's really hard. It can be really hard to ignore that or to press it off. And sometimes in our humanity, we stumble and we, we care more what they think about, so we'll say and do something we know is not right just to appease them. Jesus, forgive us if that's what we ever do. Jesus, more than anything, I ask that in this church, we would be people who would care about pleasing you first. And if we surround ourselves with people that our number one objective is not to please each other, but to chase you and to please you, God, the opposite effect can happen. We can create a culture of positivity that says, no, we're not going to do that because that's not what God says. And we're going to influence each other to be more like Christ instead of more like what I want. And God, as that momentum goes, just like a flywheel, as more and more people decide, no, I'm going to live for what God says, not what the world says, it creates this momentum in our lives that we start chasing you more and more and becoming more and more like you. And Jesus, you have said that your kingdom will not end. Saul's kingdom ended and it started because he cared more what other people thought about him than what you said about him. Jesus, let us be part of your kingdom that will never come to an end and will exist solely because we care more what you say. Help us to obey what you have already said and be an influence to people to do the same. We thank you and praise you and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing song today is going to be called Fear is a Liar. Um, I think this is very appropriate for what we're going to be singing today, so join with me as we sing. Thanks so much for listening. If you live in the Yankton area, we'd love for you to join us Sundays at 1030 a.m. at 310 Walnut Street. You can also check out more content on our website, yankton.church, or our YouTube channel 
at Celebrate Yankton. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe to it and share with others. God bless. Thank you.